0: Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the kickoff of Silicon Valley Reads 2020, presented by the Santa Clara County Office of Education, the Santa Clara County Library District, San Jose Public Library, De Anza College, the Commonwealth Club, Silicon Valley. My name is Nancy Howe, and I'm the Santa Clara County Librarian, and co-chair of Silicon Valley Reads. The theme of Silicon Valley Reads 2020 is Women Making It Happen, and it is my pleasure to introduce one of our featured authors, Julian Guthrie, and the extraordinary women who will be with her on our panel tonight. Julian Guthrie is the author of Alpha Girls, a nonfiction book that tells the story of four women upstarts who took on Silicon Valley male culture and made the deals of a lifetime. Julian is the author of four books, including two national bestsellers, and for 20 years was a journalist for the San Francisco Chronicle, where she won numerous awards for her reporting and was nominated multiple times for the Pulitzer Prize. Tonight, she will be joined in conversation with two of the Alpha Girls profiled in her book, Mary Jane Elmore and Sonia Perkins. Moderating tonight's conversation is Sal Pizarro, columnist for the San Jose Mercury News, Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Julian Guthrie, Sal Pizarro, and the Alpha Girls.
2: Thank you, everyone. It is great to be here with you again this year. Uh, And I know you were expecting more Alpha Girls. We uh, had a change of the program, and we're thrilled to have the Two we have here with us, MJ and Sonia, and of course our author, Julian Guthrie. So I want to get right into it. Show of hands, uh, who hasn't read the book yet? I, I won't get too deep into any spoilers then, but we're going to talk about some general general things. But let's start with the title, Alpha Girls. Obviously that's you know a play off the alpha male, but... It's girls, and I know in the author's note in the book, you talk specifically why you did that. Can you explain a little bit about the title?
3: Well, you don't want to hear the, the terrible titles that ended up on the cutting room floor. No, I do. <laughs> um, okay, I'll tell you one. Titles are really hard. For anyone who's written, created, produced, whatever it is, created a company, coming up with a title, one particularly bad title was Wired Women. <laughs> so embrace alpha girls. No, alpha girls, I came up with this idea of first the alpha girls club, and then I was talking with some people about it, and then it was the alpha girls, and then it was just alpha girls. And I love this idea of <clears throat> using this really strong word and kind of co-opting it back uh, from men uh, for women, women of all ages, um, from girls to centenarians. And I think that it is, um, it's strong, it's feisty, it's, um, it's a statement, and there's, there's fun and joy in, uh, in girls. So I meet alpha girls now of all ages, and, um, who are, you know, at, um, you know, 80, uh, trying something new, and that's an alpha girl, or at, uh, 10 years old, who are, are uh, going out for a new sport, and that's an alpha girl, too, and everything in between. So I'm really proud of the title. I love the title.
2: And your mother was an alpha girl.
3: My mother was an alpha girl. If you want me to get teary-eyed talking about her, she's with us. She's my best friend. She's amazing. So I have a great role model. And um, But I've met extraordinary, everyday alpha girls uh, since this book came out. And I got to tell these stories of... These um, kind of hidden figures of the world of tech and bring them out into the world and tell tell their stories
2: that's one as a lover of silicon valley history that 's one of the things I really enjoyed about the book was the way it goes back a couple of decades uh, to some of the beginnings of of when a lot of our just well known companies were just starting out, and the way you weave together. Those stories and sort of drift through time with these four women is really uh, well done. It almost reads like a novel, especially with the way things turn out at the end. Uh, Again, I'm not giving away the ending, but you should read it. It's a good (laughs) ending. Uh,
3: It gets really uh, unexpected around two thirds of the way through, actually. There's a lot of, yeah. Things
2: start changing for everyone. Uh, Was that always your intended structure for the book, or how did that come about?
3: Well, it's very complex to tell a story where you have four main characters and who arrive kind of on the canvas, so to speak, of Silicon Valley at different times and from different walks of life and different backstories. So I thought, you know, I want to see them all coming from um, whether it's MJ in the Midwest or Sonia in the South or Teresa Gao, um, how she made her way west or Magdalena Yashiel, uh when she arrived, arrives at Stanford. So I wanted to get them all on the same canvas, if you will. Um, and it was at different times, mm-hmm. but thematically that drove it uh, in terms of how to start the book. And the opening scene, which I love, Um, I think of, it's, it's very visual as well. When MJ told me the scene, I was like, this has to be the start of the book. So she was telling me about when she came West in this old Ford Pinto, you know, with rusted out floorboards and she took the exit for Sand Hill Road and she could see the road rushing by below I was like, yes. As a writer, those are these (laughs) little gems that you know you you do somersaults for. Um, So I think that it works structurally because you're introduced to the characters arriving um, in Silicon Valley with you know very different women, uh, but with kind of these shared dreams and um, some differences in their talent, some similarities, and then they set out on this on this journey. Uh, this journey of discovery, and so we'll follow them along. And it is then grouped where you have, um, you, I go back to uh, each character within a section, within a mm-hmm. timeline, like 76 to 80, 82 to, you know, 92, .com era, and et cetera.
2: And then the very recent past, so you're the characters you're, you're the women we're talking about
3: <laughs> they are characters <laughs> how was it
2: for you uh to sort of see your lives portrayed like this, and how much input did you have into what was shared in the book
4: well you know it it started out really as as, as a conversation you know Julian contacting us and and asking to tell, you know, just to talk about our stories. And, and and Julian just did an amazing job of researching each and every one of us. I mean, I, I I can't tell you. I mean, for just me personally, she spoke with, you know, my partners, our senior partner, three or four times. She talked to um, CEOs that I had backed to my, all three of my children, uh, our nanny, um, you know, she really go to the nannies. She really, they know everything. She really did her homework. So I had to, you know, do some, uh, hushing there. But anyway, it, uh, it, it was, it was, you know, we've, we've grown to be very fond of each other and it was a process that, um, we've just grown to know each other.
0: Well, you know, she, she doesn't give up at all. Um, and if she doesn't like the answer to the question, she'll ask it again to make sure that was the right answer, (laughs) uh, which is pretty funny. Um, but you know, the book is really personal. It's very, very personal for me. There's some very personal things about it that maybe I didn't really want to share that uh, is, is in the book. Um, but I felt it was really important to be authentic because for me, the book is about inspiring women and girls to get into venture and to get into technology, and it's also about encouraging men to, you know, open their hearts and minds and hire more women, uh, because I think the world really needs it. and And it wouldn't have been a great book unless it was authentic. And like, there's parts that I read about it, uh, you know, a story about Teresa, where my jaw just fell on the floor, like I had no idea. And, you know, it's painful for all of us to share all of our business with all the world, but, um, but I think it's really authentic and it's very powerful. And I think you just did a great job doing that. Thank you. It was a,
3: it was, um, you know, it was a dialogue that we had and it was not always easy, but I think we had the same goal. And I think the word authentic that Sonia chose is a very good one. I wanted it to be authentic and I think they did as well, but, Subsequent to the publication, I came across this quote that really fits who these women are. And the quote is, you have to be brave to be vulnerable. And... They had to be brave to make themselves vulnerable. You know, they're still working in the industry. This is a networking, you know, in tech. You're networking. You're counting on others, mostly men, for you know, for these deals to bring you in. For so, so there, they took a lot of chances. And um,
2: for women in business, it it is a risk to appear vulnerable. To you know, and men it, men don't have to take that risk most of the time. It's very rare. So were you very concerned about that uh, when the book came out, that it might affect you from a business perspective, that people would would look at you and say, oh, I know this about you?
4: I I think women do feel that they have to be perfect and to portray a really um, perfect image and have made no mistakes. And so I think that was one of the challenges I know that Julian faced in in getting us to be authentic and to share some of these difficult stories was our tendency to want to protect that and keep putting forth the best image we possibly could.
0: Yeah, but I think the bottom line of the book is that when Julian went out to find women characters, um, she wanted to find women who had deals that they could call their own, like things that were measurable, yeah. measured success. And so when she wrote the book, she wrote about four very successful venture capitalists that you could point to, they did that deal, they did that deal. And so sure, there's some vulnerable parts about the book, but I think for the first time the world has seen four women. And there's actually many, many more women that could have also been in the book um, who actually have been successful. And I don't think there's been role models like that before. And so finally, she's deemed, you know, four women queens of the venture industry and the venture industry needs to see that. So um, the vulnerability was totally worth that, that outcome. And right. on
2: the flip side of it, you guys do have all those successes In the book, and that's almost, you know, it's those fist-punching moments where you're like, yeah, that worked. That worked for them. Uh, What was it like reading about the successes that each other had? Was that, I mean, you probably, you were aware of them because you know each other, but yeah. to read it that way, did you get carried carried away with it a
0: little? Super, very, very much so. And about 10 years ago, an organization was founded by Magdalena and myself and Jennifer Fonstad called Broadway Angels. And so all of us knew each other because we're all in Broadway Angels, which is a group of women who are either venture capitalists or entrepreneurs who've had measurable success in their industry where we share deals and due diligence. And it basically gives women a voice around the venture capital industry table. And and because of that relationship and because of that networking with Broadway Angels, we all knew each other, but we didn't know surprisingly that much about each other. So, yeah, I, I,
4: I really agree though, that the power of the book and the the thing that made me really want to get involved was that Julian wanted to base it on what, what we did, what we contributed, not that here's four interesting women, for interesting stories, but um, base it around what we had accomplished and have that be sort of the cornerstone for each of us is, is what we had, deals that we had contributed which were significant to the infrastructure of Silicon Valley. And, and places where
2: you certainly, you know, went out there and sort of built major pieces of this right, valley. exactly. And sometimes we're the only ones who are saying, no, this will work. Yeah. And the men in the room were like, meh. So I know that's an amazing accomplishment Mm -hmm. to be able to capture those things. So talking about the venture capital world as it is, you know, what is it like for women right now compared to when you started?
4: You know, it's it's really not that much better. Um, There really aren't significantly more women in senior positions at the top firms. And there aren't... And there's still a, a huge disparity in the number of women entrepreneurs that are getting funding. I think things are starting to change. One of the things I've seen in the last 12 months is more women starting their own funds and and raising money. So feeling that they weren't necessarily going to make it in the power structure of the existing venture funds and going out on their own and um and starting their own own venture funds. I've seen, you know, half a a dozen maybe firms like that in the last 12 months?
0: Yeah, I just think women are a lot more visible. I think people recognize that there weren't that many women in the industry and there should be more. And organizations like All Raise got started and there's a lot of venture capital firms that had never had a woman partner that now do. Um, And I think it's really important that there are more women in the industry because, You know, in the olden days, when I started in 1989 as a venture capitalist, we were basically investing in companies that made businesses run better, right? And that's an easy win. Your networking, your software is automating your HR systems and things like that. But now as venture capitalists, we're investing in things that touch every man, woman, and child's life all over the world. And so if you only have one perspective of an investor, a white male perspective of of an investor, you might miss things. You might miss how a system can be exploited to maybe change an election, or you might miss, you know, things that really matter if you're doing artificial intelligence for medical health, you know, having a perspective of just you know one perspective isn't isn't enough the same with like facial recognition and things like that so we need more diversity for technology because it's now touching all of our lives all of our systems all of our governments all of our, everything and so now more than ever we need more women
2: now julian uh, you know you covered the valley you were no stranger to it before you wrote this this book but were there things that were really eye opening for you during your research or during your interviews with uh, not just the four women you wrote about, but everyone.
3: Well, I say that, um, you know, my, my alpha girls is my fourth book and my second and third books were particularly male dominated and big, uh, big personalities. You know, my second book was about Larry Ellison and his quest for the America's cup. And my third book was uh, how to make a spaceship about the private race to space and Peter Diamandis and Richard Branson and Elon Musk. Um, so, I had seen and interviewed um, those kind of maverick men, and I, as a journalist, I had covered um, I'd covered business, but I hadn't really covered Silicon Valley, strangely. And so, when I got into this story, um, everything about it surprised me, and everything about it was um, a privilege, a blessing to learn, because it opened my eyes in really just profound, wonderful, lasting, galvanizing ways. Um, I'm a different person now. I'm a better person now, I think, only because of the added knowledge I have of um, there are really dynamic women. Sometimes you have to look a little bit harder for them. Uh, women need to volunteer themselves more, put themselves more in the spotlight. But there are these women out there. They're doing amazing work. They've helped build these companies and, you know, these these leading industries. And they've played these significant roles really across industries. Uh, but the barriers as well, that surprised me. Because as a journalist, I had been very privileged to work in a newsroom where it was very much a meritocracy and mm-hmm. I didn't feel uh that these barriers existed and even in retrospect I don't they did not. So it's a different world. It was much more uh, there was much more gender um equity parity but um so it was an eye opener for me to see the successes. Oh my gosh, there are these companies and these industries where these women including these sitting right here played these huge Critical, pivotal roles, and we didn 't know about their stories and then there are these there was the awakening on the negative side that ninety six you know when I started ninety four uh, percent of all check writing VCS were men, only two percent of VC dollars go to women founded firms. Why is that the case? How can that be possible in this day? You know, um, how do these disparities and inequities continue to exist? So both on the good side, I really saw all of this extraordinary um, work and met these amazing women who've been working more behind the scenes. And then on the negative side, again, why do these barriers still exist? Why is there such, you know, why is there such inequity?
2: Now, I thought it was eye-opening for me uh, not being very familiar with the venture capital world outside of what, you know, I'd read in the business sections or business magazines, you'd get some of the some of the big names and be aware that oh, this idea of venture capital exists, and I know what it, what it does. But just knowing the uh, when you talk about barriers, some of the stories of things that happened to both of you and to Magdalena and to Teresa early on. Uh, just the behavior of men, the, uh, the ways the, the companies were run, the people who thought perhaps you were a secretary or there to get them coffee, uh, you know, it, it was just so frustrating and disappointing, especially as somebody who has a daughter, uh, thinking, how do we keep this from happening? So, what advice do you have for men, honestly? Uh, how, <laughs> how can men. we how can we help make this better because we're we're part of this and we I, need to to do yeah, our part
4: i think uh, men can play a huge role and to um I, well i tell women they should culti- cultivate allies you know with their male uh coworkers and you know it doesn't take very much if there's a, a woman um doing a presentation or talking about a subject in a room, and if just one of the men in the room shakes their head in affirmation and says yes um, and supports them, it can just make a huge difference. So um, to for the men to be uh, t- to strive to be an ally to their female um, co-workers is one thing I would ask them to, to put their antenna up The sea of ways that they could do that. I bet it wouldn't be very hard to
3: find small and big ways, or daughters, or granddaughters, or wives, or you know whatever role as a man that you are playing to lift the the alpha girl spirit up, kind of to to support that and to promote that and to celebrate that.
4: Or maybe you can be that that person's first line on their resume to give that person their their first their first job. The or uh, their first opportunity to pick pick someone who's diverse, whether it be you know their uh, female or their um, skin color or their religion, to to stick your neck out and be that first line on their resume.
0: I was really lucky because. A lot of men just took a chance on me as a venture capitalist, both at TA Associates as well as Menlo, because I didn't have the traditional background as a venture capitalist. I didn't have an engineering degree. I didn't have operating experience. You know, I I didn't have all the criteria that supposedly the best venture capitalists have, and it turns out I was one of the best venture capitalists at my firm, or both firms. And so someone took a chance at me, and I think sometimes these job descriptions um really exclude women. So if you're going to hire a partner in a venture capital firm and he has to have a CEO position of a public company and an engineering degree, the number of women that have that experience is less than 20, right? Because mm-hmm. only 20 companies have gone public in the last five years of women CEOs or something around that number. So you have to change the criteria. And it's not lowering the standards. It's just having a different kind of of, of look and a different type of employee. And, you know, if, if my standard had to be those criteria as a venture capitalist, I would have never been hired. And then the other thing is, you know, don't walk on eggshells around the female employees where we all have thick skin, trust me. And, um, and, and, and mentor women. I, I was very fortunate that Tom Brett um one of the partners at Menlo, he took me to every single red brick board meeting, and I got to see what it was like to actually be in a boardroom and see what Tom did in a boardroom and how how to behave as a board member. and that's how you learn how to be a board member. And um, many of my partners did that for me in various levels when I was you know an associate, and it really made the difference and it really gave me judgment and wisdom. And they were just very open about it. So it was, you know, take take a chance and, you know, mentor some women.
3: I think there's also, there's a commonality. These women had a certain mindset. And I think we need to get past, um, you know, discussions that are stopped, you know, with the word sexism or whatever it is. Or, you know, bias and really get past that and think about what mindsets work. And, um, uh, because these, these women that I wrote about and many who I've met and really talked to in depth, women who become trailblazers, who navigate their way to trailblazing, um, just had this mindset. Like Sonia, you know, when she was, um, I, she wasn't yet a partner. She was, um, uh, um, she was on her way to becoming a partner, but she was young and had just joined Menlo Ventures and, um, Tom Weissel, a banking legend, uh, at the time, investment banking legend, you know, invites her to Sun Valley. And, um, and and then at some point he, you know, asks her to ski in this downhill ski race. Mm-hmm. And she's not the most expert skier. So in that case, you can, um, you know, you can – you can get in the game or not. You can sit on the sidelines. And it's this mindset that Sonia had, MJ had, Teresa had, Magdalena had, a lot of these successful women where you're going to get in the game. As Sonia likes to say, you can't win if you don't play. Mm-hmm. So she did that downhill ski race, and she made it to the bottom. and We you know, won. Yeah, and her team won. Yeah. <laughs> so, Yay. So I think it's there's a lot to be said about a mindset, and if you don't have it, I I think you can actually learn it. Um, and again, I think there are a lot of takeaways in the book. But and I've learned so much. Uh, you know, when MJ when when she was at Stanford and she was going to apply for her, she had already worked at Intel and she was getting her MBA and she was going to interview at this place called IVP. And people said to her, you know, her her a lot of her male um, peers at at Stanford said. Oh, read Dennis, he's never going to hire a woman. But did she listen? No. She went to the interview and she was hired the same day. So, again, mindset.
2: And, you know, bringing up the skiing story, that was so well written. As you're going by gate by gate, (laughs) as as, as a writer, just thinking, how did you get that, that level of detail and that... Just, you built the tension so well. It was truly
0: terrifying. (laughs) terrifying. I'm a horrible skier,
2: so I felt for you. I I knew what what that was like. And I could just see if someone would say, oh, you need to do this. Okay, I can't do that, but I will try it. And so that was really inspiring. It was
0: really funny. When the book came out, when we were in New York for the launch of the book, I was in my hotel room between meetings and my cell phone rang. And it was Tom Weisel. Had <laughs> he <laughs> read the book? <laughs> and I was like, "Uh oh!" <laughs> and I wasn't sure if he was going to be happy or sad. And he was thrilled about it, so um, it was it was fun. Yeah. Now speaking so
2: they, of that, I mean, since the books come out, uh, what kind of reaction have you gotten from friends, you know, colleagues, family, uh, any of you about these stories? Uh, there's some there's some names in the book uh, that are, are significant. Um, and I don't know if any of them have reached out.
0: Very positive. I think, I think people are proud to know, you know, the, the, the characters in the book and my parents are very, very proud by the way.
3: Oh. Uh, so,
0: <laughs> but I think overall, her mother came
3: on tour with us in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So there <laughs> that it's was been very well received. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I, I my, um, my, I have two daughters and, um, and they've been extremely supportive and it's been interesting to see um how their friends have have just really been inspired by it and rallied around it and uh the 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 younger women have really um taken this up mm-hmm. and and uh and owned it i think so and and my partners have been extremely supportive and um and really happy about the book and um, and
3: even some exes. Even some exes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. We won't give away too much. But the reception has been great, and it's being adapted for a television series, oh. um, which uh, I'm super excited about, by a woman who uh, is one of only three women in history to have won an Academy Award as producer. And her name is Kathy Schulman. I mean, you think about that number, it's crazy and wrong, right? That they're... But she's amazing, and so the... The project is in very good hands, and TriStar Television is uh, is working on a multi-season uh, adaption. So stay tuned for that.
2: Wow. It's being made by an alpha girl. That's great.
3: It is being <laughs> made. Yes, that was by choice. <laughs> Many people said that I should have gone with the option being offered by George Clooney, but... Hmm. See, what? I'm so devoted to this Wish story and to women, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, I went uh, with the right person. Well, I,
2: I think you did. In the book, there's some discussion of feminism, especially towards the end. Uh, do you consider yourself feminists, and what does that mean to you?
0: I totally consider myself a feminist. Um, and, and and it's not a bad word, being a fen- feminist. And I think people sometimes associate that as a bad word, but it's basically wanting people to be treated equal, men and women. And, um, and I, I think it's very important for women who have been successful Bring other women up. And, you know, I try with, you know, Broadway Angels as well as a nonprofit called Project Glimmer to let at risk girls and women know that their community cares about them because we need to have girls, especially, have high self esteem, feel good about themselves, and then they can go out and fly and do the impossible that they didn't think was possible. And um, we, we all need to do that. All the women and men need to all be feminists to, to really make society yeah. function better.
4: I think there were so few of us. You know, there were so few of us uh, in the venture business when I started that sometimes it felt like um, if one woman succeeded, maybe the other one wouldn't. And it, it felt a little bit... Um, like we weren't helping each other, and I feel like that's really changed that um and and for a while it felt like it was wrong to say you were a feminist, and you know people would really downplay that, but now I think that we really embrace the fact that we can help each other, and um you know there are lessons that we've we've learned um, and i've tried you know I've sort of a list of alpha girl lessons that i've like to talk about and and you know i I'd, I'd love to share those with younger women.
2: Yeah, you've got your axioms that you've shared with people too. Yeah, yeah. Um, those are great, and well.
3: Oh, definitely. As I <laughs> said, this has changed my 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 the way I look at the world and um, opened my eyes to um, to what's been done and what has not been done, and um, I'm I'm on a mission.
2: <laughs> so let's <laughs> cheers for your mission. Thank you. Let's move to some questions from the audience. Uh, we've got one here. As a recently retired high-tech Silicon Valley female employee, how can I now help currently employed women fight discrimination based on their gender? Any lessons for someone who's looking for that kind of work? What they can do?
4: What they can? Um, how they can coach younger? Yeah. How yeah. they can
2: yeah. continue to contribute?
4: What you know? What I you know? If I put myself in. The person's um, shoes that wrote that. I, you know, I think it's really important for younger women when they're, they're just getting started. Just, you know, in in male-dominated industries, you know, you have to you have to find a way to establish your performance. I mean, ultimately, it's about your performance, not about you know um, how well they like you or how well you fit in. So you have to find a way to be successful, and that usually means looking at what you're bringing to the table, what what you have that you can start to be your um, your place to, to pivot into that industry. And in, like in my case, I had worked at Intel. And in venture capital, you often pick uh, a segment or two to really own and to uh, be an expert in. So I started out, you know, in the semiconductor area and in the computer-aided design area because I had a network there and I could grow... Um, I could I could grow from there and see a lot of deals in that area. I also thought it was really important to develop a point of view that was unique to my firm, something that I could contribute. And so, in my case, it was taking a real marketing approach. And I, I was sort of the marketing person on the team, always asking, you know, when an entrepreneur would come in, what that's a great. Sounds like great technology. What problem does it solve? How many people have that problem? How will you reach them? Classic marketing Mm -hmm. questions that weren't being asked in the room. So developing a unique point of view and ultimately just trying to build your performance. That's what really you've got to do to get started.
0: Sonia? I would just say mentorship. You know, um, because there's so few women in these tech jobs, knowing that you're not alone, you know, and just just creating community among among women in tech, and so mentorship is really helpful. I'd also recommend that um, she read a book called Power Up, which Magdalena Yashel wrote, and it's about her career starting out in tech early on and kind of her tricks of the trade. And I think every young woman in tech should read that book. It's I wish I had read it when I was young, but oh well.
2: I mean, one of the great parts of the book was uh, learning about the uh, the Hawaii trips, that the Sylvia Fernandez trips, and how all of you women got to sort of support each other and talk about things that the men were already doing and had been doing that for years. So I think, yeah, you know, continuing that kind of thing sounds, you know, the way. Yeah, to go. the
0: Hawaii trips were fun. So Silicon Valley Bank sponsored them. Thank you, Silicon Valley Bank. <laughs> um, and there were all these women that came together, and none of us knew who really the other one was because we. We were all, you know, individuals in our in our own firms. And one time we went out on this boat trip with this captain, this male captain, and we were talking about deals, and we were talking about technology, we were talking about men and dating and boys, and... and we were all much younger then. And, um, <laughs> and the captain was like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> had, she had no idea. None yeah. of it equated. And Robin Richard Stadahoe said that we were a women's think tank. And it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah.
2: And so you were. I love
0: that.
2: So uh, another question and comment from the audience. Uh, this person is only halfway through the book and says, you're all amazing, accomplished women and true role models. Uh, and wants to know, do you see a new or renewed interest in using all the wealth that's being created in Silicon Valley right now to address the social and economic needs uh, of the Valley and the world? And I know, you know, with what you're doing with Broadway Angels, you guys are reaching out to, to different areas than you might have with previous companies. So are you seeing a trend there in where the wealth is being put?
4: Well, we see you know, somebody like Mark Benioff is certainly very philanthropic, just to name one name, where he has personally done a lot. And I think within Salesforce, there's um, a whole philanthropic division. Um, I think also uh, what I see with millennials and what they're looking for when they go uh, looking for, for jobs is that they want to know that the companies are socially responsible and that they're... Um, uh, environmentally responsible, so I think there's there are there are companies are going to have to stand up to that and to do their parts um, to make that a priority
0: yeah i mean i I see some investors investing not only for profits but also for society um, like when I look at an investment i 'm not going to just invest based on profit if it 's going to hurt children or Mm-hmm. Addict people or things like that. Um, hopefully, that's changing, but I, I don't see it enough. I mean, I, I live in San Francisco, and you know we have terrible housing problems and people who are very ill that are living on the streets. And I just don't. I, I see it as a tale of two cities. You have the people in the the big buildings, and then you have the poor people living on the streets. And I think I think Silicon Valley and tech needs to do more because these are solvable problems and Silicon Valley has proven that they can solve just about every problem known to man and we should be able to do this too. So I'm hoping there will be much more attention at at really solving some of these problems. Solving homelessness is a solvable problem and I think people with resources can get together and help I mean, there's Tipping Point. There's a lot of organizations. I know at Project Glimmer, we support a lot of organizations that serve, um, you know, at-risk people. So I, I personally do believe it. There is, it's a solvable problem. And this is an area in the world that is well-known for solving all kinds of problems.
2: Okay, this is a good one. And I swear I did not write this, and I don't think my daughter did because <laughs> uh, I don't think she's here. But is what is some advice you have for a 10-year-old girl?
4: one thing i advise women and and i don't think it's too early to start at 10 is you know people most people don't like conflict and they really avoid conflict and i encourage people and i don't i don't think it's too early when you're young to embrace conflict you can you can learn so much when you you know business when you're in business your really your job is to to solve is to embrace conflict and so um I, I think that it but in all aspects of our lives to find ways to to go into the conflict to understand when you have a disagreement with someone n- not avoid but to find out to be brave and to find out you know what is the problem what's the other point of view so I would say um, uh, Intel has a concept called constructive confrontation and ways to to deal with conflict and and uh, I would advise that.
2: Embrace conflict. So
0: I, I've i been living for this question my whole life. So yeah, I, I have a daughter, and you know, with Project Glimmer, we've served half a million women and girls around the country, and a lot of them are that age. And with every gift that we give at Project Glimmer, we give a card that says, we believe in you, because when a girl has somebody who believes in her, she has a higher chance of believing in herself. And so what I would say to every girl, regardless of if someone believes in her or not, is that she should believe in herself. Because if she believes she can do it, she can. And if she doesn't believe she can do it, she cannot do it. And it's really a mindset of just believing in yourself and just some of the stuff I did, I had no idea that I couldn't do it. And then people said, how did you do that? And I was like, oh, I guess I thought I could do it, you know, and I did it. And so literally believing in yourself and not giving yourself the messages, nobody likes me, I'm too fat, I'm too ugly, I'm too this. It's, it's not helping, right? And just be happy with who she is and believe in herself. And then you can do anything.
4: I think the corollary to that is to... You know, for parents to to emphasize that you are you are great just exactly the way you are. You really you know don't have to be more this or less that uh, to be for for the acceptance to be there for for we for for girls to accept themselves and for their
3: friends and family to accept them just as they are. I would just add one thing, um, and that is uh, teach your your girls, that it's great to make a lot of money
0: <laughs>
3: because women need to control much more of the financial power. And for some reason, girls and boys are taught differently when it comes to money. Uh, and girls are not taught to go after it and make it yourself um, as, as consistently as boys are.
2: And ask for raises.
3: Yes, early Ask for what well, you also, want, Dad.
0: You're in for it. Yeah, I mean, keep <laughs> allowances keeping, are going up. Keeping your options open, right? So, if you get straight A's, you have a lot more options. If you, you know, if if you get D's, right? So, just doing things in life that will keep options open, so you can choose what your life is going to be versus having your life chosen for you.
2: One uh, phrase that kind of your phrase in the book is obstacles are allies. Can you expand on that a little?
0: Yeah. So um, uh, there's a prayer that I, I like to say, and, and part of the prayer, it talks about obstacles arising as allies. And when you have something that is a problem or an issue, um, instead of saying, oh, no, I have this problem, I have to you know, escape from it you look at it as your friend and say, what can I learn from this? What can I do uh, from this? And um, I'll give a personal example. Um, My mother had broken some vertebrae in her back and it was very painful and she was having an awful time. And I was like, what am I going to do? She was living independently. And I said, how do I make this my friend? And what I did was I said, well, gee, maybe we should find an independent living place for you all to live in instead of, you know, freaking out about it. And we ended up, you know, getting them in the San Francisco towers, which is great. And it really became a friend and it's been this amazing experience for them and for our family. And, and that's just a great example. Or, you know, another example could be when a company is going out of business, like how, how can this be a friend or how can this be an ally? And you think about, well, how am I going to behave when this company goes out of business? Am I going to, you know, stay in touch with these people afterwards. Am I going to fund their next company because this one didn 't have a good market so there 's all kinds of ways to just look at bad things and turn them into positives.
3: I kind of look at it a little bit differently and when i 'm thinking about sonia and um, and that is I think about you know when Sonia was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she's working full-time, and she's surrounded by men, and the world began to look very different for her. And this, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes have to go to very low places to appreciate uh, coming back to a relative place of, of um, normalcy. But I think when she came out of that, you know, she, she went on to do really incredible... Can, things, but in a different path. She founded Broadway Angels. She founded Project Glimmer to create this network of, of women uh, and to help young women as well. So the obstacles uh, became her allies and became the allies for so many others too. So something really cathartic happened and kind of an awakening that I saw with, with, with that saying, obstacles are my allies.
2: It's good advice. Good way to think so we 've got another question here. I was surprised in the book that, in addition to funding new companies, it sounded like you also coached the entrepreneurs at those companies a great deal. How long did that coaching relationship last, and how much of your time was involved so from a from a v c perspective how much how much of that is your job a really
4: it 's a really big part of it. I mean you know the process is we, we find good deals, we find deals to invest in, hopefully we find the best ones and then we basically partner with the entrepreneur to help make them successful and our involvement stays uh, there for the lifetime of, of that company's uh, path. Now sometimes we go on the boards and we're more involved, in, but sometimes we're not on, on, the, on the boards, but we're still involved with coaching them and helping them, trying to help them be successful.
2: How How is it for you, Sonia? Yeah,
0: so a, an average investment lifetime, if you do a startup, is about 10 years. And the an average venture capitalist does one to two deals per year. So you are usually on 10 to 11 boards, you know, full-time venture capitalists. And so you spend a majority of your time with those portfolio companies. Um, so I would say it's more than half.
4: And it's not just board meetings. I mean, if you're the lead investor um, and – something's going wrong, they're going to call you, you know, night or day probably.
2: And since you have a fiduciary duty to all those companies, since you're on the board, is it difficult sometimes to juggle that knowing, okay, is, is what this company doing going to affect this other company? How do you keep all that straight in your head? You must be brilliant.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You don't don't invest in competitive companies. So they're usually very different. The only thing that it kind of messes me up a little bit is when they change their year from a calendar year to a fiscal year and it could end in January or February or March. And, you know, it, that sometimes messes me up a little bit.
2: Um, Let's see. Uh, Another question here. I'm 45. I'm not 45, but the question, (laughs) the person asking the question is 45 and I've observed how much women can attack other women in the workforce. What do you suggest to help this help overcome this type of internal sexism?
0: I think that's a myth. I I think that women don't attack each other as much as people think. I mean, I I think it's a wide-known kind of tale that women are so competitive with each other, and I think the old school was that, you know, if there's only one woman at the table, then there's not room for another one. But I think that's changed tremendously um, in the last 10 years um, with networks and groups. And I think that women are now realizing that the power is ours and we don't need to wait for the world to change, that we are going to change the world ourselves. And one of the ways of doing that is bringing other women up and that's how you do it. And there's these amazing women's networks and all kinds of companies. And, and I, we've spoken at them. We've, we've been to them. Um, and sure there's probably a case or two where that happens. It happens with men too. But I think it's I think it's a negative stereotype that doesn't need to be yeah. perpetuated.
4: I
2: agree.
0: Do you agree? Yeah, I do. And if there is
4: a mean girl, then um, you know, I would you know, there you're gonna run into those kind of people and there's you know gonna be that conflict we talked about. But um, you know, one of the things I've you know used throughout my career is sometimes just being a little bit deaf. Um <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Um, that was a piece Mindset. of that, advice that, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said her mother-in-law gave her that, um, uh, one, the one piece of advice she gave her was sometimes it's good to be a little bit deaf. And she said she'd applied that both in her marriage and in her
0: career. <laughs>
2: <laughs> sure. uh, for Julian, uh, can you elaborate on what, what it means? Sort of a related question, getting past bias and getting past sexism, what, what that means for you?
3: I think that, um, again, I, as I'm so immersed in these stories and in, I've probably talked to four thousand, five thousand, thousands of mostly women and, uh, but a lot of men as well and great, you know, male allies, but really about, uh, what's next and how to, um, how to get to a better place in terms of equity. And I think that it really is in looking at these models of success and looking at these, you know, these, these were women who didn't have a silver spoon. They, you know, Magdalena arrives in, uh, in California from Istanbul, Turkey with $43 to her name and nine gold bracelets to sell if she needed. And MJ drives her, you know, old Ford Pinto out. And anyway, and so it shows what is possible. And I think that's why we, there's so much talk about, you know, um, diversity and inclusion, and diversity and inclusion programs, and there are a lot of great things that are going on. But as I see it, there is almost the secret sauce of mindset, mindset strategy. Think about how you're approaching something. Uh, you don't want to take a risk. We'll take a, Think of Sonia. You know, get in the game. You're not going to win unless you play. Um, naysayers are all around us, right? We can be our own worst enemy with that. As women, think of, um, think of MJ and the naysayers who, you know, put up walls or told her that, you know, no one was going to hire a woman. And, you know, what did she do to either go over that wall or around it? So I'm a big believer in, um, the power of the mind and how we can come up with these kind of, um, strategies and look to those who are around us as well and who have gone before and who have, who have done it, who have gone from navigating this, lo- this, this minefield, field filled world and have come out really to this place where they are trailblazers. And what we can learn from them. So I believe in the power of stories to change the world. The power of stories to open our hearts, our minds, our way of thinking. And so I think that stories, the stories of people who we can learn from, um, have so much power in changing um, how we live. I think they have a lot of power in, in the potential of changing um, uh, the workforce even, in opening eyes for both men and women, you know, to what is possible.
2: Now, we've got two, I'll say, well, three brilliant women here, two very involved venture capitalists. Uh, this would be a horrible opportunity to waste without asking you, uh, what's coming next on the horizon uh, that we should all be looking forward to investing in? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I think you you two know what we should be all be looking at. Uh, what... What new technologies? What companies are out there that no one's paying attention to that you've got your eye on?
4: Well, one answer to that would be: I think what's next is investing in more female founders. Um, And and good answer. The last, the last six investments I've made have all had uh, a woman on the founding team, and I'm really, really proud of that.
2: Sunny, want want to give out any secrets? Well, I mean,
0: so. I like to invest in companies that solve real problems. And so I tend not to invest in companies that just compete on marketing and market dollars and things like that. Um, There's a company I invested in uh, probably four or five years ago now called 128 technology. And uh, the founder Andy Ori is mentioned in the book. He founded two other companies um, that I also funded. And this is his third company. And basically um, while the world was trying to figure out what to put on the internet and what kind of apps to put on your iPhone, um, Andy and Patrick, his co-founder, they were trying to figure out how do we make the internet safer? And you think about how many CEOs have lost their jobs because of hacking. You see phishing is still a problem. There's all kinds of problems with the core network. It's kind of broken. And um, so they came up with a very innovative way to route data. So it only goes in one direction, not two directions, which helps a lot with these hacking attacks. But they've also have zero trust security. It's super efficient. It's software based. It's like VMware for networking. It integrates with the cloud. Um, I think it's going to be my best deal ever. And um, nobody was thinking about the network, uh, that that many years ago. And I think it's going to be one of the the top investments of my entire career.
2: I'll see you heard it here first. Okay. (laughs) And we are coming close to the end of our time together. Uh, but I wanted to find out, uh, what's coming next for all of you. Uh, what are you working on now? Um, I would love to hear more about both, uh, Broadway angels and project glimmer Uh, to let people know what that's about. But, Julian, what do you have?
3: So um, I um, clearly have been um, hanging out with too many entrepreneurs because – I took the story of Alpha Girls and it just has grown organically, and I founded um, a nonprofit which is just getting up and running. Uh, it is the Alpha Girls Institute, and we're going to award scholarships and do a lot of programming and um, Alpha Girls clubs in schools. And I really have the bug because I have incorporated my very first startup.
2: Oh, wow. Yes. Okay.
3: Yes. So it's in stealth mode, but I'm super excited about it.
2: You know any investors?
3: Um, <laughs> I just might. Maybe, maybe. Maybe you've
2: talked to a few.
3: Yeah. But that's the power of stories, right? You don't know where they're going to take you. I just, you know, I love this story idea and then it's, you know, it's, it's out in a book and I love the reception that it's having and I'm so proud of it and humbled by it. And then it's going to be a TV series and now an institute and now it's inspired me in thinking about starting a company. So, um... You just don't know where your idea is going to take you, and I feel like that's such a beautiful thing about storytelling and, and creativity.
2: That's an amazing place for it to go. Glad to hear that, and I hope we can have a lot of that going on here in this area. MJ, what's going on in your I'd say life right my,
4: now? Um, sort of the buckets for, of my time go into still doing a lot of investing, um, uh, in angel investing with the Broadway Angels and... Um, co-investing with uh, my firm with IVP, and um, really enjoying really enjoying that process. Um, doing a lot with um, in philanthropies, looking for uh, trying to find ways to have some impact. And I've been uh, two of the areas that I'm really interested in are we brought we've talked about it tonight a little bit about the homeless and this problem, and I've been looking for organizations in. San Francisco um, and on the peninsula to work with, and also um, really interested in teen mental health as a, as an area. And um, finally, I've been have been doing a lot of oil painting as a sort of a new pivot for me, which has been really fun. Wow!
3: Okay. Yeah. And the works are beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, they're really nice. Uh,
0: so um, I, this year is is going to be uh, very exciting for Project Glimmer. So I was the founder of Project Glimmer. Uh, ten years ago, this is our 10th anniversary. And about three years into it, I realized you know I was the bottleneck. And so we hired an incredible staff. And the incredible staff has just done amazing things. Um, we started these programs called Days of Empowerment. Which are career workshop days for foster girls where they come in the afternoon, they get their hair and makeup done, they find a very special word about themselves, maybe they're resilient, strong, brave, their skin color, and they have a professional photograph taken with their word. And then we do career workshops about networking and, um, resume building and, uh, financial, personal financial responsibility. And then we have a panel which has formerly at risk women on it, um, with a celebrity moderator. And then they just ask questions about how they did it. You know, one, one, one question asked was, what did you want to be when you grew up? And three of the Broadway angels said they wanted to be the boss, you know, they wanted to be the CEO, which I love. And, um, and so, um, these Days of Empowerment have worked really well. We've done them at First Republic Bank with the cast and crew of Wicked in New York. It was amazing. It's such a special thing for the girls. And so we're really trying to help these girls see positive role models so that they will want to become... Um, you know, what, whatever they, they're inspired to be. The boss <laughs> or, or a hairdresser. We did one with Redkin. Um, we've also put together this incredible program called Social Supply Chain, where we work with vendors of cosmetics as well as vendors of jewelry, which is, by the way, 80 to 90 percent gross margin products. And we asked for last year, last season's goods. And we give them to the women and girls and with the cards that say, we believe in you. And and it really, when these girls get these gifts, they are so excited that somebody cared about them. And it's something so small has such a positive impact on them. And this year we served over 180,000 girls. And so now we're kind of in the big time and we've got big partnerships with Sephora and others. And, you know, this year is going to be a year of fundraising and brand raising and more of these foster girl programs because they really are making a tremendous difference. Um, And I'm so, of all the things I do in my life, I think I'm the most proudest of that um, because I think we really are touching the lives of girls and are changing their futures.
2: Wow. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being here and sharing your stories with us. It is incredible. I mean, we're here sitting at De Anza College, not far from where the Macintosh was introduced in 1984, and this whole valley grew up, and you were a major part of making this valley what it is today uh, for the positive. So... Thank you, and thank you for being part of Silicon Valley Reads with us.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Good evening, everyone. I'm Dr. Marianne DeWan, the Santa Clara County Superintendent of Schools and co-chair of Silicon Valley Reads. I hope you all enjoyed this evening's program, and we look forward to seeing you at more Silicon Valley Reads events in the coming weeks. We would like to thank Julian Guthrie, Mary Jane Elmore, and Sonia Perkins, and Sal Pizarro, our generous sponsors, and all of you for joining us.